good to worship with you and to see you once more here. And um, we're very glad to, to worship together this morning as we celebrate the, the departure of friends that, are, that have been here for a while. Let's start our service with a hymn. Our first hymn this morning is hymn number eight, How Great Thou Art, if you'd stand and sing, please.
Let us draw near to God, our Father, with a true heart to confess our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we praise our God. Our responsive psalm reading comes from Psalm 89. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. You said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I've raised up a young man from among the people. I found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him. And through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me. You are my father, my God, my, the rock, my savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. Our second hymn this morning was selected by Ron, number 397, Dear Father of All Mankind. If you'd stand and sing.
please be seated for the readings. Our first reading is St. Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. So, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why... For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. And our second New Testament reading from Acts. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and our sermon reading. 
The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head there is no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ron. Visions from God, the themes of the readings this morning. A vision in Isaiah 1 is a future account that Isaiah sees about his nation, Israel. In the New Testament, visions or revelations, an apocalypse, some type of thing from God that breaks into the world to either inform or to encourage. Oftentimes it's about judgment. Oftentimes it's about what's to come in order to prepare the hearers through the prophets how they should appropriately respond to God ultimately. So in days of violence, when chaos seems to reign, when confusion is widespread, and yet there's a continual mainstream search for meaning, we must look to the spoken words of God. And God's message, God's word, tells us three things tells us that God is creator and that we are subject to him. It also tells us that our ongoing sin can affect the way we think. It can change our perspective. And three, that he will take action in our lives if we don't. Isaiah begins his prophecy that was given to him with this idea of creation, that God is creator and that we are subject to him. He says, hear me, he's speaking God's words. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. Oftentimes, 
In the Jewish writings, we have from the heavens to the earth, which is an extent of the creation. God is referencing his creation. It's a calling to pay attention. Heavens and earth is creation in total. And it says that he's spoken, and he gives this kind of metaphorical uh, phrase here, this, these few sentences. He's redeemed a people. I reared children. I brought them up. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. As we remember, he called Abraham, and out of Abraham became this people. Oftentimes, this, this idea of bringing them up is referring to bringing them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And if you remember, when the Jews were brought out of Egypt, they decided to enter into a covenant with God on their own volition, at the request of God. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Do you agree? Do you want this? And they said, yes, through Moses. See, there's a story that he's redeemed a people. And we as a church are an extension of that redemption that like the Israelites who have been called out of slavery, we too as a church have been collectively called out of our sin, out of our depravity, out of our chaos, and often out of our violence towards others. But those people rebelled which is why the prophecy comes. The people rebelled. They couldn't live up to his covenant. It doesn't take very long to flip through the Jewish scriptures to see that they were very unable to live up to the covenant that they chose to enter into. There's a problem. Verse 3 says, Animals know their master. Animals are lesser beings than humans, and yet they don't seem to have a problem with recognizing who their creator or their master is, who they should follow. Animals oftentimes, if you tie them up long enough and you remove that fetter or that constraint, they'll still live as if they have it on them out of habit or out of knowledge. Animals often don't go against their masters if they have a true understanding of who their master is. Yet people, know are much more sophisticated in their thinking. And yet the Israelites have chosen to forget to the point that God has to send a specific message to them. We as Christians often forget, either actively or passively, about what we know to be true. We're easily deceived. And we follow darkness. Unlike animals, we have another opponent besides our will, and that is evil, darkness, satanic powers that are at war in this world because we are image bearers of God, unlike animals, that want us to betray God that feed us lies, that, that work with our own desires to naturally go against God. It's a, it's a very, very serious problem that we have. God is creator, and we are subject to him. But our ongoing sin can sometimes affect our thinking. It can change the way we think. Verse 4 says, 
Woe to the sinful nation, this particular NIV translation says, woe, other translations say, ah, as if God is responding with compassion. Ah, a sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of vipers, loaded down with guilt. He's saddened by this. He's provided through the law of Moses and sacrifice a removal of guilt, a temporary removal of guilt. Yet he sees that they still respond in a way, not in gratitude and grace towards other people because they've received grace from God, but they act violently. They attack like poisonous snakes, a brood of vipers. Their children are taught corruption. Why? Because their children grow up under parents who act like serpents. If you remember, the serpent is oftentimes the image of evil, spiritual evil, to be exact. Notice that their reaction or their their ongoing sin, their being loaded with guilt, changes their thinking from what they've agreed to do through the law. Somehow their mind has changed. Maybe it's an excuse to turn away from God. Maybe they've been swayed so much that it's better for them to disregard the law that they know and seek a new law or a new God or a new religion in order to justify what they want to do. This too is a common theme that we've seen in the Old Testament. The the Jews seek other gods and idolatry because they want to be like the other nations. But it's in modern day too. I was just reading about this particular person who he worked in apologetics. His job was to defend faith, specifically Christian faith. He was a very, very conservative person who had extremely, what appeared to be absolute and secure beliefs. And yet this man fell into pornography and he eventually cheated on his wife. His wife divorced him and he fell into this lifestyle of of sin, which caused him to reject the thing that he used to defend to switch to a defense of atheism and why God doesn't exist and why faith is silly. And on paper, it may look that he just may have gotten enlightened and sought science and how he's portrayed in the media, but in reality, people that know him know that this switch had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with him. He wanted to live a certain way and so defended such a lifestyle with new beliefs. I can say personally that a lot of the people that I've come across in academic circles and religion who are very, very strong opponents of religion are often the people who come from the most conservative backgrounds in terms of religion. It's very, very interesting that the insight that Isaiah portrays in this this passage is that the the loading with guilt, the, the bearing of one's guilt often causes someone to change the way they think. 
An ongoing sin pattern can affect our thinking and cause us to live in destructive ways that are passed down to our children. It says they've forsaken their Lord. They spurned the Holy One of Israel. They've turned their backs on Him based on what they want, their natural desires to live lives of selfishness, but also through the power of evil. But don't think, don't judge the Israelites as people who were intentionally wanting to turn against God. No one sets out and says, you know what, I, I think I'm going to wake up today and ruin my marriage. Or I'm going to wake up today and just totally destroy everything that I believe and turn to something else. No one intentionally does that. It's a result of gradual changes. And the text here tells us that it's often pain and guilt that cause us to change. He will often take action in our lives if we do not. The truth is, is that God has taken action in our lives because we can't. He's died for us. He's broken in like these messages, like these visions that were given to Isaiah, like the apocalypse or the revelation that comes into the world from without the world, from God. God has broken into this world through Christ, which is what the incarnation means. Incarnate, in the flesh. God has become something he's not in order to reach us. He's taken action in our lives because we can't, but he also will take action in our lives if we do not. And that often means that he will actively make changes in, the, in this world that will bring us hopefully back to him, which we see in the stories and the scriptures about the Jewish people taken into exile because they've rejected God. And this is interesting enough because it says at the very beginning of this, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah the son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We know about these particular kings from 2 Chronicles chapters 26 to 30. And the thing about these kings is that they often turned from God when they became powerful. All these kings, for the most part, started off as good kings. Uzziah became powerful, and then he turned and he began to make his own sacrifices. He says, I don't need the priests. I don't need a mediator between God and myself. I can go directly to God because maybe he felt that he was holy. Maybe he felt that he was righteous or ritually pure. But God says, how dare you come straight to me without the forgiveness of sins? So we see his downfall. His son, Jotham, responded positively. There was a time of peace and a return to God. And then we have Ahaz. Ahaz sacrificed his children to a foreign god. He offered bribes to Assyria because he didn't trust and he ultimately didn't believe that God could save his kingdom. 
So he tried to bribe his enemies, and they turned on him. He took the articles from the temple into the streets and said, we don't need the place of holiness of God. We can take these utensils and create our own religion in our homes and on our corners of our streets. And we see that God takes action because of this. He asks the question, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. Everything in your life is ruined because you've been judged by your enemies. God has allowed them to experience hardship in order to show them what they're like without him. Why, why should you be beaten anymore? He's asking them, you are doing this. I am letting it happen because it's your choice. Why do you persist? You're sick. Your heart is faint. Your whole body is full of sores and they're not bandaged. They could be soothed with olive oil. Olive oil is, is something that, that they would put on their skin conditions to soften wounds as they healed. It was also used to anoint those kings who have rebelled against God. The pouring of olive oil was a showing that, that the spirit and the power of God was being poured upon their leader as a righteous and faithful leader. The word Christ, Christos, means the anointed one. It's from the Jewish word Messiah, the one that God has anointed to lead. They've chosen not to take this oil both metaphorically and literally, their country is desolate. Their cities are burned with fire by their enemies because God promised to be their God and to protect them, and yet they turned. In days of violence, when chaos seems to reign and confusion is widespread, and there's a continual mainstream search for meaning, we must look to the spoken word of God. It reminds us that God is our creator. We're subject to him, whether we like it or not. We, see, we can see his goodness, that we're created in his image, that every aspect of our lives is dependent on him. It also tells us that our ongoing sin can affect our thinking. Not that God is telling us to be perfect because he knows that we can't. The whole reason for the gospel and for the law was because we're sinners. But our ongoing sin can change our thinking and cause us to believe lies that aren't true. Our ongoing sin can affect our thinking. And lastly, he will take action in our lives if we do not. Yet he has already preemptively acted in Christ for your sake. Not because you're holy. Not because I'm good. It's because we are unholy and ungood oftentimes. Even though we have good intentions, we fall short of God's righteousness. Which is why, like the kings of the past who often went into the temple to offer their own sacrifices. It wasn't accepted. The sacrifice that was accepted was through Christ. 
He has preemptively taken action in our lives because we cannot. But he also will take action in our lives in the future if we do not respond to him appropriately. Which is the topic of every prophet, not just Isaiah. For the Christian, there's hope, there's salvation. There is an end that ends well for us. But know this. If you seek things actively that are not in God's will, according to his word, according to the teachings that have been passed down to us from the first century, he will step into your life and make those changes. And oftentimes they don't look like blessings. They look like curses. As we face uncertain days. Let us soberly think about our own lives and how we are responding appropriately or inappropriately to God. There's so much grace and love for you from God. Though you don't see Him, though you may not hear Him, these texts reveal a great compassion for you. It reminds us of His goodness reminds us of his great sacrifice for us. May we not neglect that great sacrifice, that great compassion that calls you day by day to live as Christ. These ancient writings have been preserved for us, but God still speaks. There's feelings in your heart. Maybe it's your conscience. Maybe it's compassion for someone that you may not normally have compassion for. The Spirit moves in this church through our prayers. I've seen it. I've seen it in the one year that I've been here. May we not neglect that word, that message. Amen. Would you please stand with me as we recite the Apostles' Creed? Together, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
pray. And we'll conclude our prayer with the Lord's Prayer. God, we, uh, we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for your holiness. We're thankful that you speak to us and you care about us. You don't leave us alone. You hold us accountable. We thank you for your compassion and your grace that you've given through the, the gospel. God, we pray that we would believe the gospel more, that we would have a stronger faith, that we would trust in you for our righteousness more often than our actions. We thank you, God, for what you've given us through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the prophets, through the writings that we're able to study and see and apply to our lives. God, give us more faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And God, like the nation of Israel who often experienced rebellion that caused them to be judged, which allowed their enemies to overtake them, violence, famine, collapse of society. God, we pray in troubling times today that we would trust you, that we would live in ways that are mindful of how we treat others. We pray for our governments. We pray for our local lawmakers. We pray for our governors, our prime ministers. So many nations represented in this church, in this, in this room even today. God, we pray for our governments and leaders of the world who are often responsible for, for ruling over people, God. May they not be like the kings of Judah and Israel. May they be wise and compassionate. God, we pray that your mercy would come upon us and our nations, even Lithuania. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And God, I pray that each, as individuals stand here before you, we pray that each one of us has guilt and pain and personal experiences that some of the things that we would never want to mention or repeat again or to live in our memories. God, we pray that we would receive the, the balm of the gospel, that like olive oil that, that is a healing agent, that we would apply your grace, your mercy, your love to that pain. And I pray as, as individuals that as we stand here that, that we would grow to move from that pain and to live a life that is of grace and compassion and love and empathy for others, even our enemies. Only you can do that in our lives, God. Please do. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Would you please pray the Lord's Prayer with me as we close this, this prayer time? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, it is well with my soul. 
says our next hymn. Verse four, or hymn 451. It is well with my soul. Let's sing together. of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.